This episode of the Black Gold Podcast is brought to you in part by the Black Gold Podcast Store, where you can get exclusive Black Gold Podcast merchandise. Here you can purchase the new My Story Matters design on a comfortable t-shirt or in a snug and warm hoodie. Also, you can purchase my new ebook on podcasting called The Podcast Jumpstart Guide to help you get from zero to your first episode teaching you the tools and resources that I've used to build a quality podcast on a low budget. To get your hands on this awesome merch at a discount, go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go to the menu and click on the Black Gold Podcast Store discount button to save 10% off your next order. Hello listeners, on this show I talk with everyday African Americans who were able to transform their passions and struggles into their dreams. I'm your host Moses Tillman Young and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. In this episode, I interview Scott Steward, the founder of Genius Lab, an organization devoted to the education of Black and Latinx youth in STEM fields in the city of Chicago, Illinois. In our conversation, Scott and I discuss his initial reluctance to become an entrepreneur, his experiences, and the teaching methods he used both in public school and at Chicago State University, and students' mental health when it comes to taking virtual classes. Welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. I'm with Scott Stewart, an entrepreneur based in Chicago, the founder of of Genius Lab. It's an organization that you started training young African-American and also Latinx youth in different aspects of the computer industry, especially in coding. So how did you start as an entrepreneur? What was your background in in entrepreneurship? And also, how did you then start the Genius Lab? That's a lot of questions there. So, you know, reluctantly, my mom introduced me to entrepreneurship when I was like 12. So that's how I got, how, that's how I got introduced to entrepreneurship young. And I think that's one reason why I choose to teach young people because it was at a time when I was very impressionable. So a lot of things were impressing upon me depending on who who the messenger was. So I always revered my mother, even though I always kind of fall back, kind of like that's mom. And that's how, you know, it wasn't like I was like all in, like, yeah, I want to do this too. It was like, now I want to be a boy and ride my bike. I want to, I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like, I want to hang out with my friends. And she was more like, you know, think about this. I'm going to set you up a nice business. So that's when I got introduced. I got to Genius Lab after I left. So I be, fast forward, I become a Chicago public school teacher. And I was teaching entrepreneurship and introducing technology. But... They kept cutting the program, you know, the pro that it wasn't a standardized class offered by the school system. It was like an extra class. And so they, it kept getting cut every number of years. It'd get cut. I'd move to another school, but I did have a lot of success in some of those programs. Thanks to the organization Nifty and the network for teaching entrepreneurship. And that's actually where I gained the confidence to say, instead of just teaching entrepreneurship, let me demonstrate entrepreneurship. Like, let me be the guy, you know, who comes from, you know, you know, virtually, you know, the South side of Chicago, let me be the guy to demonstrate how to break generational chains and curses. And let me start a business. Let me show it instead of just talk about it. I had a colleague that said, most teachers are people who could never do it. So they just teach it. And that kind of always got under my skin. Like, 
bruh, like I could do it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that was the impetus when I, I left a uh, school and when I left that last time, I was just like, now nah, I think it's time to go ahead and start my all day. And, uh, I became genius lab. There's genius lab today anyway. So you, at a young age, you were, you were thrust into entrepreneurship as a profession. It was in your family, it was something in your blood, and you went into it reluctantly. But you said that you, in between starting out at a young age, 12 years old, to today, and a little bit before then, starting the organization Genius Lab, you were a public school teacher. What was your experience with that, and how did you fall into that being a profession for you for a while? Oh man, that's a great question. It wasn't my plan. When I was in high school, the only thing I wanted to do was get out of high school. You know what I mean? Like I was an average student at best when I was in high school. So the thought of being a, a school teacher was never in my purview. It was like nine million years. Although Moses, I will say, I always envisioned that I would be like a 70 year old professor at a university, you know, talking about the blueprint to success. Right. But I never, I never knew the path would have to come through being a school teacher, but I worked corporate. I'm a corporate guy. I'm a school for business. I'm a business guy. So it was in grad school that our final project for business class for a business, we had to come up with a business, we had to come up with an organization and mine was I'll teach youth how to start their own business, right? And so that's what it was. It was just a youth entrepreneurship program. And that was like 90, you know, something, 2000, early 2000s. And I'm still working my corporate job. I was flying across the country, you know, had just bought a house and started the family domestic thing. So when I lost my job, started taking the program around to different schools. I was like, I found the principal who was like, come on, I have an alternative teaching certificate program for you. You can have a stable job, which was what I needed at the time. Cause I was a, the, a young father, you know, so I needed some stability and it was there. And then I started to cut my teeth on teaching and practicing how to teach and how to engage at the level that we're doing at genius lab today. Would you say that there was something in your teaching style that resonated, especially with the young people who wanted to go on and be entrepreneurs? Would you say that there's something that you either said or the way that you taught that inspired them to do so? I think it was both of that. It was the way I said it. You know, a lot of people see, you know, so a lot of people have always told me I had a little swag. Like, Mr. Stoy, you think you cool? You think you cool, Mr. Stoy, you know? And I've always had this like younger face. So I'm, I'm 50 years old. Right. And so I think about in my family, we had a baby face syndrome. So for a while, I always looked a lot younger. So you figure I'm 30, probably looking in my mid twenties, you know what I mean? And so I'm, that makes me relatable and I'm hip hop. Right. So hip hop means everything like fight the power, like I'm anti-establishment in a sense. Like I'm coming in and like, not the teacher. I'm the anti-teacher. You know, I'm the business guy. Like, like, and I school, like I remember high school, like school was these teachers don't care. You know what I mean? Like school is just a funds and games. Like you like, no, this should be the playground to where you really hone your skills and practice how to get money, how to start a business. And see, that's the, the difference, Moses. A lot of my students actually made money while I was their teacher. A lot of my students got to see money. They won business playing competitions. You know, kids are winning a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars in competitions. Like, what's happening in Mr. Stewart's class? Like, what are they doing? They he's always talking about get this money, and his kids actually are winning money. So yeah, it was all of that, Moses. It was it was the style, it was the way I taught it, and then it was the truth. Cause I'm teaching real stuff because I did have business experience and I was a business guy. It was like I think the gift was in the way that I was able to teach it in the delivery. And I think a lot of that is like the hip hop, you know, understanding 
how people hear and listen and having visuals and being visual. All of that, I think, made for always made for more engaging classroom. So would you say that it was something, as you said, it was something that you said and that you did. Also, the thing about business theory currently in terms of whether it's being taught, especially in public universities, is that it's just that it's business theory. There is no application in terms of real world things that actually can happen to you in your business rather than either seeing you know, simulations of, of events. You don't actually get your hands on experience in terms of starting a business, watching it grow, watching it then fail in some ways, then we start over again and make it even better. So there's that idea of it's theory versus application in business schools. Yeah, it's that I, I was bringing. So again, if you're running an anti- this is kind of like the system, right? I'm coming in early debunking the Harvard Business School model, which was the business plan. And actually for a number of years, we spent a lot of time on developing a business plan. And then we go and execute the business plan. You know, there's a lot of failure in that. As my teaching style grew over the years, it became, okay, forget spending so much time on six months of, on a business plan. Let's just take this idea, run it real quick. Let's just do a quick test to see if it works. Let's just see if it clicks. Like, okay, you know, you want to, you want to resell baseball caps. You want to resell sunglasses, forget all the paperwork. Let's just run down to the wholesale, grab $20 worth and see if you can flip. You know what I mean? Like, and, and actually we did it that way, but like, then it was during a, like paired report card pickup night. So they had, they were vendors. And so though they may have had a small table with 10 pairs of glasses, but you know, if you sell four pair, you make your money back, you know? So, and I think that's when students built a lot of confidence, like, oh, oh, one, I can do it or not. And if I'm interested in taking on the pain of failure, I can learn from it and grow and learn how to do better. And that's the other piece you had to be willing to endure the pain of failure. Cause what if you don't make your money back? You, you feel, you take it on personally. You feel like a, like you're insignificant. Like your people don't like you or something that's like, no, it's, it's more system is marketing is things that you can do to enhance your business. And if you're interested, you know, you keep digging deeper and deeper into it until you figure it out. Yeah. Also flipping is, I'd, I'd say it's the easiest way to get started in terms of making an income that is reliable because you need to learn, you know, how to source your products. You need to know what products are in demand. You also need to know how to price your products. And so you also learn all those different things that you would normally be taught in a business school, but then you learn it through action rather than just learning it through. Yeah. regular, like regular class, sitting down in class, taking notes, all that stuff. So you learn it hands-on, on the job, doing the thing that actually can help you both to get to learn and you also get to make some money while they're doing it. Right. Absolutely. That's the best model right there. Speaking of failure, has there ever been a time in your, either your personal career or even starting a, a business that you have encountered failure and what have you done to overcome that? Yeah, like every other day, right? Like I'm my own worst critic enemy. It could be depressing if you sit in it, Moses. If you, like, nobody could beat me up worse than myself, right? Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I guess if you talk about a failure, on the level of like a story that would be like Ted talkish, you know, would be my story, you know, preceding my divorce, my separation and divorce the year, you know, like 2017, I came home from, you know, and I'm 2017 is just a few years ago, 2017, right? 2017, I come home and my lights are out. It's the middle of the summer. You know, and this is a few days after my car had been repossessed. And I'm smiling right now 
but not really because it's painful to talk about, right? I was a professor at one of the most prestigious universities in the country, Chicago State University. And so I, I, a lot of things were happening. My, my father passed away that year, right? I could, I, could, I could start to blame things, but what it did for me, and this is what makes me really, really different, is I stood in my truth. Like I was, I made a lot of money, but I was very abusive with money. And I was making a lot of terrible decisions financially to have the things that looked like successful entrepreneurship to, to put up the facade, which is something that we are, have to deal with in the black community, right? So. Black folks, in order you want to do you want to do business with black folks, you got to look the part. You want to do business with non-black folks, you got to look the part. And so, even though we're in zooms and things, you you can't keep coming with that old T-shirt on there and trying to hold a business meeting, expecting people to buy your curriculum for thousands of dollars, or you're trying to convince somebody to put you in front of 150 students to teach a workshop, you know. And then even pre-pandemic, it, it's people want to see what you're driving up in. And so before I got to the point where I understood that that wasn't important, that that wasn't important, I had to kind of lose it all. So before we were Genius Lab, my company name was Project Tech Teams. Same color scheme, same mission. We had to change the name because of 2017 when my after my lights were out and after, you know, I'm borrowing $200 from friends and then my car is repossessed, I find out around this time, around this time, it was actually in July, my father was had fallen gravely ill, lived in Vegas. I had to fly out to Vegas. I was in the middle of one of the biggest summers financially for Genius Lab financially, you know, one of the biggest summers we were experiencing. I had to leave to go tend to my pops and... Uh, and I left the business in the hands of folks who were not equipped to deal with the business side of the business. Basically burned a name because we ended our programs quarterly that year. And I had to, that was also the year that I had to, I decided to, I had to. God blessed me with the opportunity to go back into the classroom in Chicago Public Schools for a year. That was the year I kind of fell off. You know what I mean? Like, 2017, your boy fell off big time, you know? So, so from 2017 until now, I just been digging out, out the hole and learning from that big mistake. And I continue to make mistakes every single day, but I think having the resilience, the resilience to not beat yourself up too tough and to have faith in what you're doing and to be serious and authentic. See, this is not for the weak of heart. You care. I'm not asking for these trials and tribulations. What I realize is eternal is exactly that. It's always ongoing. So as long as I'm breathing, it's going to be something, right? And so you got to have the resilience to still pursue your purpose, passion, and mission in life and what that is. And mine is to shine light, man. And especially on other young people that come from communities like mine, like you don't have to succumb to the statistics. Like you really can have peace. And then how do you do that? And I think it's through education. And I think it's through educating yourself, not only about various others like technology and math, but educating yourself emotionally. Like how do you deal with situations? How do you deal with when somebody wrongs you? How do you react? So life, I was, you know, and I'm just telling this one young guy, man, and it's very close to me. You know, he gets upset sometimes when he sees other people get something. And, and, and sometimes he wants to take it from them. And I say, young brother, you don't, it's enough for everybody. You never have to take off of anybody's plate. And when you recognize your own value, that you don't, like nobody's getting more than you. Look, let me tell you this real quick, Moses. And my pastor said this, and I'm going to butcher the story. But this is what uh, my pastor, I got from my past. 
And he said this, he said this story and the story goes pretty much like this. I'm going to butcher it. So I'm going to get my own remix of it, but it goes something like this. Uh, there's these two business owners across the street from each other. They own this, a uh, bake shop. They both are bakers, right? And, and one baker up one side of the street is doing really, really well. Like he's doing really, really well. And then the one across the street, he, he does what he does, but he sees the one, his buddy across the street does really, really well, but he does what he does. So he's over the years, he grows envious, right? And, uh, and then God comes and says, okay, look, brother, look, look. Cause now that he's getting to a point where he's agitated, his blood pressure's going up. He's, he's unhealthy. So God comes and says, okay, what's going to make you look, let me do this for you. I'm going to bless you with whatever it is that you want in life. Whatever it is, you can have whatever you want. But whatever you choose for yourself, the guy across the street is going to get twice as much. And this guy's like, okay, okay, let me think about this. Let me think about this. Give me, give me, a, give me, give me some time. Let me think about this. And he comes back a week later and he says, I got it. Got to figure it out, God. All right. Thought about this and this is what I want for myself. I want you to. Strike me blind in one eye. Strike me blind in one eye. And see, I'm saying now, if you catch that, if you catch that, Moses, of all the things you could have wished for, that was your wish. And see, I'm, there are a lot of people who think like that. There are a lot of people who would rather see you with nothing. See them, you know, they would lose an eye just to see you with nothing. And I'm saying there's another alternative and it's, it is in peace. Like you don't have to hate on nobody like that. It's enough to go around. I hope you caught the moral of that story. Cause I thought that was super deep. Oh yeah. And there are a lot of people in our community who are so busy looking at what other people have. They don't appreciate that. It doesn't matter. They can have whatever they have. You can have, just enjoy what you have. And there's your peace right there. How do you do that? By appreciating what you have building up what you have through appreciation of what you have. And, and so just for the, it's the, the moral of the story is God said the guy across the street from you would get twice as much blessing than what I'm going to give to you. And so the guy across the street will be completely blind, but the guy is only half blind. And so it's that idea also of it's the, Catering to the opinion of others. It's that you feel that you need to do things in such a way that other people would want other people's approval, essentially. And so you are always doing things in order to get that approval. And once you don't get that approval, you're then angry and you're mad and you become depressed and you think you're not, you're not worthy, you're not enough. And so it's that idea of you need to just remove their opinion altogether. And the way that you do that is you take action and you just don't care what they think at all. And in doing that, you, you get some highs, you get some lows, but you're learning all the way. And so there's nothing there that is holding you back. You being your own person and having ideas and going for what you want to go for as well. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, um, Paul always says to me, whenever I was when I was younger, as a young kid, always being selfish, wanting like me first kind of attitude. It was also like getting angry at people. And what she always used to tell me was that whenever you get angry at someone, and you're always thinking about them, always you know griping and cursing them out in your head, what happens is that that person is your god. They have controlled your thought life. They have controlled your actions. They've controlled your attitude. And so that's the idea of a person who is just like you, flesh and blood human being. And they have a, a, a control over you that you don't even notice that they have that control over you. You think that they, you are justified in your actions and your thoughts and your behavior to do certain things that will either wreck things or even becoming depressed. And so it's that idea of saying, you know, stop, look, and see that I don't have to cater to your needs. I don't have to cater to your feelings. 
I can do what I want to do and I can know for sure that if it's, if it's success, you know, awesome for all of us. If it's a failure, I'll take it as a learning opportunity and I'll plow on ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just stepping into your Kanye mom, whether you like him or not, you know, like he's, he's doing his, what works for him. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Point taken, man. You do what works for you, man. Be yourself and then be happy with yourself. And how also how you do that? How do you how do you become happy with yourself? Start making better decisions for yourself. Slow is just slowly, slowly start against nobody else's measurement. Just your own. Just your own. Just your own measurement. You versus you. Not you versus anybody else. That's how you that's how you dig out. That's how you dig out, trust me. So how were you able to transition to virtual classes in some sort after COVID? You said 2017, you started Genius Lab before it was, what was it before? Project Tech Teams. Project Tech Teams. Yeah. yeah. And so you started that. It, it, it started to roll downhill. And so picked it back up again. And then... Spring 2020, everything shuts down. And how were you able to jump from that and create Genius Lab to what it is today? Patiently, because we're so small. We were, we were treated, I, I think, you know, if I put it in parable form, we were treated like the kid in class nobody wanted to listen to his opinion. Like, I'm getting money with all these people. I got these relationships with these school principals. But then when they shut down and I'm ready to embrace it, like, yo, I can help. I can help to keep the classes seamless. I know Google Classroom. I have the technology. Y'all work out giving them the laptops. I'll be there. Like, I'll help you all transition to be there. And they were like, get out of here, kid. You know, this is for the kids who got straight A's. This is the straight A kid conversation over here. Well, you know, I wasn't the straight A kid, but I was a kid like, man, if you listen to him, he got, he's saying something that's like, you got to put him on the team, you know, like you really should be listening to him. It doesn't come off in the way that we say it, and, you know, but if you listen to what the man is saying, it's like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the ticket. That's the ticket. You know, they should call me the big ticket, but you know, so luckily, you know, my reputation proceeds, we get one or two principles that's desperate. And I'm like, okay, just. Let me show you, give you a couple of free samples. Let me do a workshop for you to show you how easy and seamless it is. Because quite honestly, a lot of educators are apprehensive to the tech, particularly in the black and in my community. You know, I get a lot of teachers. I get, you know, a lot of teachers who are apprehensive to the tech. And I think the other thing is just recognizing like kids don't even need laptops today. We're so hung up on getting them laptops and tablets. Like we missed that ball. Like they don't need that. They got their phone. They got their phone. And it was like, oh, you need to be like, no, your computer is your phone. Like, I got to help them remember that. I have to help educators who make $200,000, $300,000 a year remember that what you holding in your phone is just as powerful as your laptop. It's just as powerful. You can print from it, man. Stop playing. Like I was in it. It was just, I was the small kid in the room. And so patiently. And I think today through platforms like this, like, and it's, and because my message is the truth is like, you know, it's like, where this kid pop up from? No, nah, I've been doing it for 20 years. It's just like, now is my time to get the message out that it's right for. So where we believe we're leading, Twitter made this announcement back in 2020, 2019. It was like, we never going back to the office. When Twitter said we never going back to the office, I was like, oh, Genius Lab about to pop. You know what I mean? It's like this level of engagement, teaching through virtual use. Yeah, we're leading that for, for youth, 6th to 12th grade across the country. I believe we're leading that. Yeah. In terms of getting Genius Lab up to a virtual setting, what tools, what resources did you use in order to, to get it to where it is today? Branding. I think it's, I think it's probably bigger than people actually realize 
You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you got a good microphone, you got a couple of lights. Do, do, do you have, can you keep somebody's attention for a few minutes that's interested in what you're having to say, particularly when it comes to teaching? It's not just, see, it's not just talking like this. Like, if you came to learn something from me, you have to have a curriculum. See, that's the piece that people are paying for. They're paying for not just what I'm going to say, but what the timeline is, what the what the topic is, what the end game is, what the students will have learned, what they would have been exposed to. And then it's kind of like that recipe of putting it together for a nice, beautiful cake that is delicious. And at the end, it's like a product, the product being a presentation of a student articulating their specific investment portfolio or students articulating in an elevator pitch, their business plan and their business idea, or even showing their app working on their iPhone or their Android device. Like I programmed it. So at the end of every eight weeks, 16 weeks, 24 weeks, 32 weeks. And then at the end of the school year, there should be a showcase. Now, ideally, you know, at this showcase kind of piggybacking off of what Nifty does, these showcases should come with some sort of financial incentive for them to keep going or do whatever they want to do with their money. Like, don't even micromanage it. And that's what we're coming in. That's what my friends and I are be coming in over the next few years, giving more micro grants to emerging entrepreneurs, helping them jumpstart and not really, you know, micromanaging or dictating how and where they spend their money. Right? So that's where we are, Moses, Moses Young. So would you say that it has been a learning curve in terms of figuring out how to not just interact with people to understand the, what Genius Labs is about, but also exactly what they, what you as, as that Genius Lab wants the, the kids to get out of the experience and out of the, the classes. Yeah, it, it was, it was. And it still is because the youth today, you know, they're getting away with some of these standardized tests. They're changing how we, and we should be uh, changing how we assess young people today. And so you have to give the young people something far more engaging and you can't sit them down and ask them to be quiet and answer some questions on a piece of paper, not in 2022. You know what I mean? The, the, the assessments or the proof of learning has to be in the demonstration form. Show me what you did. That's what it is. Show me what you did. Right? So if it's English class, it's a paper or a skit or a screenplay or a something. If it's math class, it's a, it's an architecture design. It's a floor plan. It's a solution to a problem that required, you know, getting out of Haiti's recent earthquake. If it's science, it's show me, just show me, just show me. And yes, yes. Writing is hard to come by today. Like the, how writing, writing is, I don't think we'll ever get back to like how I learned how to write, um, a paper or a news article or a journal entry. Like I see that that is diminishing fast. I don't know where I stand about that because, you know, and I'm not saying traditional writing is going to go away per se, but I think it is important for people to be able to write a proposal, you know, write an email properly. And I see that kind of going away. I think that we could, we could preserve writing a little bit more, but, Everything else is demonstration. Just show me what you did. And I think that's how we should be assessing achievements, if you will, whether or not you're going to lead a team or an organization or be a part of one. Because we still, everybody can't be the leader anyway. And we need some people who are willing to come and do the labor. And some people would rather just do the labor. And so there's space for them too. And, and respected places and spaces for them as well. And so, yeah.
In terms of the writing, as you said, that's becoming like a lost art in a way, because now it's both speed, speed in terms of writing and speed in terms of Twitter, you know, you, you have a limited number under 500 characters to get out your message. And so having stuff just, anybody can type out anything that they want to on say Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, major platforms, and it could be truth or non-truth. And so that's the other thing too today is that we can also verify much better if something is true or not true, if you learn certain skills in terms of, as you say, valid in terms of how things are formatted, how things are written out, names, titles. And so verification of of work is also what's really important and necessary to know how to do. So then whenever you encounter something, you can then say, oh, this is completely fake because you can see this is off over here. This person's title should be done over here. And so you get to learn things, learn little tricks, little tips, things that'll help you to realize whether or not what you're actually reading is true or it's false. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just recorded for our winter season, you know, curriculum where we're going to be launching an episode on which financial resources uh, that I recommend. I gave my top five for reputable resources for young people to look up financial information. So that's interesting because I talked about that. Like to me, the Wall Street Journal is currently to me, you know, one of the most reputable journalistic products available today. So, but you also just made me think about which companies own all of these and I bet up my top five, they're probably owned by one or two companies anyway. So yeah, <laughs> the Tribune company and, and then somebody else, right? Slam. So, but yeah, it's good. Stuff. Yeah. Gotta have good reputable information for sure. But have there been any books or anything that you've read either lately or as you've been on the come up in terms of learning both how to teach and also how to establish yourself in business? Absolutely. I, I, I've switched to Audible for the record. I don't know people acting like I'm front because so I got to verify for me that listening can be uh, just as effective as reading. If I were forced to just continue to read, I probably would not have read or listened to as many books as I do today. But this summer, I just finished my 10th book. So for over the last 12 weeks, the book that I just finished is the 22 Irrefutable, Irrefutable Laws of Marketing, which is a game changing. It's like, oh man, this is phenomenal. My master's is in integrated marketing communications. I initially started off undergrad in broadcast journalism before ultimately graduating in business and marketing. So in communication. So yeah. Well, I lost my train of thought. Well, what were you just talking about? What were you? Well, oh, uh, uh, books that you read. Oh, the books. The books. 20 irrefutable yeah. laws of marketing was a get. That's dope. That's a dope book. And I also just finished Algorithms to Live By. Full is Algorithms to Live By, like human decisions in the computerized world. That I went through that book already and I see. There were just some, 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 as, as, as a DJ Khaled would say, some major keys in there that just like automatically helps me already make different decisions to be, have a more productive life, how to get more done. And so that was a great book. The 50 cents most recent business book, it goes by the Monica Curtis Jackson, hustle hard, hustle something was a book that I just got through. So yeah, I'm always in the something, some book that's going to help me expand me, give me some perspective to some level. Absolutely. And I'm a big advocate for reading some books or something. And I have to agree with you in terms of listening to books as well, because you know, you're, you're walking around, you're driving, do, doing errands and whatnot. And that's time you could also use to listen to a book 
And so you get a lot of information. And what's very funny is that funny or like very interesting and incredible is that whenever you are asked about like, oh, what did you read? Whatever you replay back to the person about what you read, it's what you took away from it. And as you said before, in terms of demonstration of of learning in terms of testing children in the next few years, it's the demonstration of what you learn. It's not the demonstration of what the teacher wants you to learn. I mean, there are some things that you need to know in order to have a, a conversation with someone concerning the topic, just to prove in a way that you're, you, you know it and you're not just faking it. But there's also information that someone might have glossed over in their read that you then picked up and said, this is interesting. Then you guys talk, you bring it up and they're like, oh, I forgot about that. I have to go back and read that part again. Yeah. So it's listening and you get whatever you need out of it. And it's like you're drawing out just the basics. It's like you're boiling down a syrup and then you get that sweet goodness from it. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt. You, I was telling someone, you grew up on a farm, right, Moses? Is that, is that true? Do I remember that correctly? Yes, yes. I, I, I live on a ranch. You live on a ranch. Yes. Like, you, do you, like, get your own meat? Do you eat meat? Do you, do you, do you have to take, do you, do you get your own food or do you go to the grocery store? Go out for the grocery store for, for staples in terms of, like, you know, flour sugar, that, that kind of stuff, oil, you know, sometimes, sometimes you splurge and get some, I would like to call it like, like good junk food, organic junk food kind of stuff. I'm not laughing at, do you eat meat? Yes. Yes. We, we eat meat. When I talked to you for the pre-interview, came back. And it was, just came back from helping put a cow in to go to the butcher. And that cow is going to be coming back on the, on the first. So we're going to be getting that cow back and yeah, it's going to be a hamburger party. Man. Yeah. It has some great cuts. Honestly, oh, yeah. It's going to be some good cuts and winter yeah. is coming, huh, Moses? Yeah. <laughs> yeah winter, winter is coming. coming. Yeah. And. Yeah, on the phone at the butcher a couple of days ago, you know, figuring out exactly what we want to have packaged in terms of like how many pounds ground beef, how many pounds sausage, how many pounds bib, soup bones, stew beef. So yeah, it's been a really unique experience for me in terms of growing up in the in the country. Live in a small town, but it's I don't live in the small town, I live like twenty miles east of the small town. <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's, you go, we go into the garden. It's nice. It's healthy. It's beautiful lifestyle. I'm from the seed. I'm from the south side of Chicago. Buildings and people and public transportation and grocery stores. Yeah, not organic, nothing, man. I'm from fried KFC. <laughs> Popeyes. Like, wow. That's yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued, man. I'm intrigued with folks who thank goodness for the farmers, man, and the people who take care of our ag- country's agriculture. Like, oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's not me, man. Uh, hats off to you. Hats off to you. Well, yeah, I think it's. I cannot think of his name. The guy who lives in in Oakland, who's a, a gardener. Is it Ron fin- Finley? I think it's his name. I'm not sure. He's a yeah. He's he's a, an urban gardener, and he has taken. He lives in a in a in a small community, but it's one of those small city communities. And so he's taken his backyard. I think that he even emptied out his pool and put like. So I started putting potted plants in there and growing different radishes and cucumbers and kind of things like that. And I started to feed his local community with the food he grows in his, in his backyard. So you can be, I think he calls himself like, a, like an urban gardener is what he calls himself, I believe. 
and you can do that. And it's, it's really cool too, because A, you know where your food comes from and B, you then can always make, make some more, you know, and to do it for yourself and you're not dependent on any single source for your food. Because that's another thing that the pandemic did in terms of you go to the grocery store and you're looking for, you know, you're looking for your meat and then you find out that they only have, you know, two more boxes in the back. And so you can't really get all the meat that you want. And then you also find out that other vegetables and stuff are out of stock because of the the pandemic in terms of cleaning things, making things, this stuff is sanitary. And it's once you realize how to grow your own food, there is an incredible power that comes along with that. And it's the power of independence from your, from the people that are supposed to be your quote unquote, you know, overlords. And so you learn how to become self-sustaining, sustainable, and you also learn how to, how to feed yourself and you learn how to cook and make wonderful and delicious food. And so everything's plus, plus, plus. And also if you're working outside, you know, you get your exercise and there's also plus in there as well. So, yeah. It makes absolute sense. Agriculture for at its core is the backbone of our economy. And, you know, our economy is agriculture first. That's what runs us. Absolutely. I get it. And I have a great deal of respect for it. Absolutely. 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 So. Yeah, I don't take it lightly. It's just hats off to you. I'm glad you do it. I'm glad you do it. And I'm glad you enjoy it. That's what's up. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's really fun just being outside, soaking up that sun. It's incredible. I get the afternoon sun and just like eating down. Yeah. Yeah. I know know this this interview, I'm a guest on your show. What's next for you, man? What's next up for you? Next up for me, so I am currently deferring a semester at my at my university because I'm a commuter student. I I have to commute to and from school every single day, and it is I don't want to come back and bring anything, any COVID or anything like that, back home to to my parents. So. Reluctantly, I had decided to defer for a semester. And luckily, that's that's thanks to both my mother and also to my professor, my advisor, mm-hmm. because he told me like, I was signing up, you know, first day of classes. They had this little flyer that said, you know, take 15 every single semester. I was like, okay, I'll take 15. Then I talked to my professor about it, and he was like, you don't want to take 15, you want to take 18. Because the money that you pay for 15, it's the same you get to pay for 18. And so you get the eight and it all goes to, to that 18. And so I said like, okay. So I took 18 semester, one semester took uh, 19 credits, but it was um pretty much 18, 18, 18 for the last two years. And so I have enough credits that I can skip a semester and still graduate on time. Originally, I was supposed to graduate fall of 2022, but now I will be graduating with my class in 2023. So it was those credits and also credits that I got um, transferred from doing other stuff, working at the university in the biblical Greek department as well. So I was able to get those credits transferred as well. So I have the, I guess you call it the luxury to take a semester and do things that I wouldn't normally do in terms of like in the regular school schedule. So yeah, so this semester I'll be working on, it's my thesis project as well as the podcast as well. It's Black Gold Podcast. That's what's yeah. going on. So what are you guys up to in terms of Genius Lab going, I saw on your website, yeah, something about the classes in, in 2022 will all be virtual. Yeah, we're remaining virtual. That's the latest crusade that I'm on, Moses. Um, here in Chicago, which is Chicago Public Schools, is my biggest client. 
they're ready to do everything in person. During the pandemic, our business has grown. We have facilitators across the country now. And, you know, if they wanted us to service all of the clients in person, we wouldn't be able to do it because they're not even, I'm the only, I'm actually the only facilitator in Chicago. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense because all of our classes are basically, you know, once a week for, once or twice a week for an hour at a time. So you're talking like one or two hours a week. For a business, it just makes sense for us to be the super cool company that does this virtual synchronous learning where the group of students are there, the schools have the projectors. It's just like this, except it's front of, in front of 20 people. They, I see them, you know, maybe they don't, maybe I don't see them. They see me. I don't have to see them. Maybe, you know, and then, uh, and then I deliver, the teacher is there that I deliver the content, the teacher is there to administer whatever activities or worksheets, you know, digital worksheets or respond to whatever prompts they may be. And then again, it's that demonstration. So if, if I'm delivering a, a mobile app development course, then we're walking through the steps of how to actually build the app. There's has to be a way for the students to show right through the camera or by sending me the link, how the app works. And we get the demonstration that way. If it's stock markets, we're all in the simulated game. You talked about simulation. I can see the performance day to day or week to week. And so that's how, that's how we plan to roll out. And if schools are still having a problem with the virtual synchronous, then we're putting together a series of videos the short video clips that teachers can play in their classroom and still give these digital prompts. Hey, what'd you think about what he said here? Or she said there, all right, let's look at, you know, problem A, B, you know, Moses Young has a, has a podcast and he spends $20 at the store, you know, what's this math problem? Whatever the case may be. And so that's what we're working to roll out in mid-September in the next uh, few weeks here, 2021. Okay, so it's going to be, you're going to be having all virtual classes and also some synchronous classes as well. Virtual synchronous, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have there been any students that you've had when pre-pandemic and going into now that have had difficulty with being completely virtual? And how did that play out? Was it that they felt lonely or is that they felt as if the classes were, were too fast for them. Were there any issues in terms of students and class pacing? Yeah, I remember right in my own backyard, man. My, my, my middle child, my second daughter, virtually has dropped out of high school. The pandemic was too much for her, kind of broke her. She was already dealing with some, you know, some mental illness, you know, diagnosed mental illness. So, you know, she, she, she's not the person that you can change up on. And the pandemic really did her in, gave her a lot of time. She made a, a lot of bad decisions. We went through some challenges, but even today, so, you know, hopefully, you know, she started off the school year kind of haphazardly going to school. We, you know, she could still graduate one time. She's not she was always so far ahead. As a matter of fact, my daughter had straight A's and B's all the way up until the pandemic. And literally was like, I'm not doing this. School is whack. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm smarter than them. I don't need them. I'm about to be 18. I'm grown. I'm out of here. So yeah, it broke them. It broke them, you know, broke her and broke some of her friends. And, and I know it broke a whole generation of students out there. And those are the ones that we're kind of talking to as well. Like, yo, schools, make it available for them to just like sit in and listen to this workshop, you know, and if they like what they hear, then they go do the thing. They can make some money doing it. And if they want to pursue it, they like it enough, they'll do it more and more. Whatever that may be, like that's the that's the secret to education today. Offer them a bunch of stuff. Let them take it. 
until they find out what they like, right? And um, and that's how you that's how you and then you give them more of what they like. You know, I I got I got that. You know, talking to the CEO of Thrively. You know, that's kind of what they do over at Thrively. If you say you want to be an aviation, they give you an aviation workshop and video and ask you some questions. And the more you dig in is proof of the more you want to know that it goes back to the 10,000 hours. The more you want to do a thing, the more time you'll put into it. The question is, you know, you know, for some of us, Moses, we don't know what we want to do at 12, 16, 17, you know, and even what we're doing at 18 and 21 and 25, could still change by the time you're 50, right? But it still comes down to, like I just told you, like my mom put me on the entrepreneurship at 12. Initially, I was going to do broadcast. So the video thing was, you know, I, I, I got the radio thing. I wanted to be a DJ. So this format was always going to be in me, right? I got the business side. I'm not a dummy. I'm articulate. I can write. So I was always going to be in this space. You know what I mean? And then I just so happened to have a gift to teach something that I know a little bit about. So it was always going to work out. Thanks to God. That I, that I look, but people, I used to think that was corny. I know we about to run out of time, but I used to think that was corny. When I see successful people, I used to see successful people. I always want to thank God. Like, and I'm coming up as a guy from the church. Like I'm still involved in the church today. I'm just giving, I'm just keeping this is a stew's moment of transparency. I'm giving you some real juice, some tea, as the as the young ladies I know say, I'm going to give you some tea. You know, but even then, I used to be like, I thought that was corny, you know, out the corner of my eye. But I'm telling you, the truth of the matter, when I was furthest away from God thinking that it was me, that was like that 2017. I was, that was ego. That was ego. That was all ego, man. That was ego. That was, I was a lot going on, man. And when you become too filled with your ego, too prideful. God has a way of getting your attention and humbling you. And I didn't understand that either. But after what I've been through, this personal self-development space, what I'm continuing dealing with, like my old children, I'm trying to teach hundreds of thousands of kids, but my own daughter then dropped out of high school, you know what I mean? And is dealing with some mental illness as a black woman and the blood I'm doing these like I'm in it, in it, in it, in it. I'm not from the outside looking in. Mm. In it. I'm in the fire talking about here's how we get out. And I'm bringing one, dragging one along with me that's on fire. In the fight. You know what I'm saying? In the fray of it. And we're going we're gonna to get it right. So you know what I mean? That's, 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 that's just, that's just the truth of it. I mean, stay humble, man. Um, with, and, and God is the only reason that genius lab is doing what it's doing today. It's not me. It's not me. It's a real thing. I used to think people when they would get famous, not famous, but when they start getting on and probably want to thank God is because the truth of the matter is you're not going to get it faking it without going through him, like for real, like you got to give it up to a higher being, whatever that is for you. For me, I choose to call him God. It's God to me, you know, and uh, it's not me because I'll mess up some stuff, Moses, you know what I'm saying? But luckily I'm learning to listen and follow God's guidance more. And when I do more of that, it's always better. It's me fighting it. But if I release the fight, then it's always better. And I'm learning, I'm just really learning how to step into that today. Yeah. It's idea. The belief that that is there helps you to then do things you wouldn't normally do. Because if you believe you have the strength of, of God behind you, you wouldn't necessarily want to, you know, start a business, start a podcast, whatever you want to do. Because you then don't have anything to say, fall back on. But if you believe that God is the one who is actually propelling you forward, then that strength combined with your own strength, but that strength itself is, it's the will to, to move action, to do something. 
It's the he always makes the provision. Exactly. He always yeah. makes the provision. So yeah, you again, it's going back to not looking at what somebody else has and thinking that they got something more than you. Just take appreciate what you have and the source of your supply, and you'll always be good. Especially if you follow that direction as often as possible. The more you follow it, the more good you'll be. The more good you'll you'll experience. So I'm learning that. I'm in that. I'm trying to practice practice what I preach. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then that, then having the the idea of the power of God behind you, also both works both ways. As you said, stating that that parable about the two bakers is that you can believe that God will bless you, and you can also believe that God will curse you. But you always want, it's really weird. You always want to receive the blessing, but you never want to receive the curse. And you always want your enemy to not receive the blessing and you want your enemy to receive the curse, just as, as the parable that you shared as well states. And so it's the idea that, you know, God, I, I don't know where it is. I think it's in, in Colossians. God treats us all all the same, the same water from the sky that sends rain to the earth, the same sun in the morning, the same stars, the same wind, everything is falls on each and one of us. And we all have different gifts that God wants us to use to use what he has given us and make it better. Right? We are called, you know, go forth and, and multiply, right? And so multiply the resources that God has given you and do it in such a way that it is pleasing not only to other people, but also to God. Even, even, even if it's not pleasing to other people, forget about other people. Just as long as it's pleasing to what God wants you to do and what you believe God has put in your heart to do, just do it. And then you'll find that people naturally who are drawn to what God has put into your heart They'll follow you. They will find out things about you and, and they will support you as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has been a wonderful conversation today. One more question for you, and that is if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, what would your message be? Wow. I have the ability to send a worldwide text. What will my message be? I think my message would be, remember, the competition is you versus you. Why would that be your, your text? That would be my text to have people reflect on their only responsibility is to improve themselves. If they focus on improving themselves, there'd be less time for, to be irritated by other people or to be trying to outdo somebody else or take from someone else. If the measurement is you versus you, then I believe you'll be concerned with self-improvement. Well, Scott, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Also, where can the listeners go to learn more about who you are and what you're doing with Genius Labs and how to uh, access you on social media? Yes, they can go to Scott steward with a d s-t-e-w-a-r-d is in david.com they could also find us at geniuslabchicago.com check us out geniuslabchicago.com and uh, you know just search us on search us on all your browsers yeah search engines look us up in all your search engines and Google us, YouTube us, Facebook us, Twitter us, you know, IG us. Yeah, we're everywhere. Well, thank you, Scott. This conversation has been a pleasure.
It's been my pleasure, Moses. Thanks for having me as a guest. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Gold Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the show on Instagram at the Black Gold Pod in order to be updated about new episodes each week. In order to listen to incredible and inspiring stories, please go to the Black Gold Podcast website and make a donation so the stories of these incredible and amazing people will be waiting for you each and every week so that you may be inspired and become an inspiration to someone else.